morning. It's a great day to be here, and I'm pleased that each one of you are here and we're able to worship God together. I want to, as well, just uh, extend condolences and our thoughts and prayers out to the Dalkey family on Ed's passing. Uh, I'm sure most of you, if you hadn't been aware, uh, found out this morning that Ed passed away uh, this past Friday. Quite suddenly, uh, on Wednesday, he uh, had a series of seizures and was in the hospital, and on Friday morning, uh, he passed away, and Marianne was with him, and uh, so we just want to remember her and, and the children as well as they go through this time of loss, and I know that Ed has since moved away a couple of years, but he still feels like he's a part of this church family. He's spent most of his life here and is one of us, and so it's only fitting that we have the the service here later this week on Thursday, and uh, so I just want to um, lift, lift that, them up in prayer uh, in these coming days. This morning we are going to be continuing uh, our series on what the Bible says about everyday life, and continuing to look at uh, the, the everyday nitty-gritty aspects of living life, and the Bible, I believe, has something to say about everything and every situation that we encounter in life. And so this morning, we're going to be looking at what the Bible has to say about having good relationships. So would you bow with me now, and let's spend a few moments in prayer. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning with many needs and many different concerns. Lord, we come to you first and foremost, and we want to lift up the Dalkey family. We thank you, Lord, for the brother that Ed has been to us for many years and uh, the member he has been of this church family. And so, Lord, as he has gone on, we have the assurance and the hope that as a brother in Christ, his faith has now become sight and that he is with you. And so for that, Lord, we thank you. And we are reminded that each one of us has to personally put our trust in you with hope and faith that when our day comes, that we will pass from this life that we will be welcomed into your presence. And so, Lord, we thank you that we have that assurance that Brother Ed is with you. And so we just pray, Lord, that you would comfort us with that thought. And be with the family, especially in this week. And, uh, Father, as the funeral uh, comes closer on Thursday, we pray, Lord, that you would lead and guide there and that whatever needs to happen for that day in laying Ed to rest, Lord, I pray that you would be honored through it as he sought to honor you with his life. Lord, we also want to lift up other concerns in this church family. We think of the the Jansons, and we think of Della. And so, Father, we know that you know her need and her treatment, and we just pray, Father, that you, the great physician, would go above what the doctors can do, and that you would go directly to the, the place that healing is needed, and we ask that you would lay your hand there, Father, and that you would provide what she needs. And so, Father, according to your will, we do ask for healing in Jesus' name, and we ask, Lord, for you to sustain her with daily strength. We also, Lord, want to lift up uh, some of our missionaries in the field who are dealing with different issues and struggles. We think of Jeremy and Laura Rowley in Vietnam. Whether they were working together during the day or relaxing together in the evening, they had just always gotten along and genuinely enjoyed each other's company. But today, something was different. Something was wrong. And he knew it was his fault. He had blown it. The nagging thought in the back of his mind began to grow. Did his dad know? And if he didn't, how soon until his dad would find out? What would he say and what would he do? 
could I hide it from him so that he will never find out what I've done and that things can just carry on like they were before? But the more he thought about it, the more worried he became. His dad trusted him. And he had broken that trust in the worst possible way. Could there be any coming back from that? He still remembered clearly the day that his dad had handed over control of the entire estate to him. It had taken him a minute for the reality of it all to really sink in. It had simply seemed so surreal. Absolutely everything was now his to oversee and do with as he saw fit. From the fields and the orchards to the livestock and the animals, all of it was now his responsibility. And since that day, there had been a lot to do. But it was not overstating it to say that he enjoyed every last minute of it. But now all of this was in jeopardy. How had it come to this? But maybe, maybe it's not my fault, he thought to himself. And the thought hit him like a lightning bolt out of a clear blue sky. It dawned on him that he had never had a thought like this before. Never in his wildest dreams had he ever even thought of not taking responsibility for his actions. But now he began thinking more and more that maybe there's some way that I can get out of this. Maybe it's not my fault. And the more he thought this way, the more it began to take hold. And at first he felt ashamed, but soon he felt exhilarated. This was the way out. It wasn't his fault. It was her fault. Yes, after all, she had been the one who had nagged him into doing it in the first place. Yes, he would pin the whole thing on her. He and his dad would be just fine, just like before. And then he heard him. It was his dad. And he was looking for them, calling his name. But for the first time in his life, he didn't instantly respond to the sound of his dad's voice. Instead, he did something that he had never done before. He hid. He hid from his father. And the growing worry in his mind had erupted into a full-blown fear. It didn't even seem possible. But the truth was that he was suddenly resenting his wife and afraid of his dad. And deep down in his heart, he knew that everything had changed and nothing would ever be the same again. And then he heard his dad call out again, much closer this time. Adam, where are you? And so Adam answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid myself. And we've been hiding ever since. Every last one of us has been hiding in some way, shape, or form as a result of that fateful day in the Garden of Eden. Every single human relationship that has existed since that time, right to this very day, has been affected as a result of that day in the Garden. And this morning we are continuing our series, What Does the Bible Say About Everyday Life? And just as a full disclaimer on where I stand, I believe that the Bible is God's word that is not only living and active and powerful, but that it is relevant to our everyday lives. That it has something to say about each and every circumstance that we face and how we live, even in the mundane routine of life. And I believe that because of this, 
if the Bible doesn't change our lives and how we live Monday to Saturday, then why do we even bother studying it on Sunday? What's the point of doing this exercise on Sunday morning if it's not going to change the rest of the week? You see, God's Word is meant for Monday to Saturday as much as it is meant for, for Sunday morning. It has something to say about every facet of life. As the psalmist wrote, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. He's speaking about the Old Testament scripture. He didn't even have the New Testament yet. He was mostly reading Moses when he wrote this. You know, try reading through numbers, stimulating stuff. But even that he was proclaiming as a light unto the path. Even in some of the more, more mundane or, or boring aspects of scripture that we might think, there God still has lessons for us to learn as we study his word. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. You know, you think about it when you're driving after dark. Most of us have done this thousands of times. You need your headlights on so that you can see the road ahead of you. So that you can see that deer before it darts out and smucks you in the side of the car. You need it to see the curve in the road so you don't just drive off the end. The headlights keep us safe on the road and away from danger. And it's the same with life. Every last one of us faces dangers. Unexpected things pop up in life all the time. I can't tell you how many things have just popped up in the last 48 hours of my life. And yet, in all of these things that just come out of nowhere, God's Word and His presence is there to help guide us safely through on the road of life. And so today, we are going to turn to God's Word as we encounter things in life unexpectedly often, especially in the arena of relationships. This morning... We're going to talk specifically about having good relationships. Because every last one of us is good at the opposite, right? We've got the bad relationship thing figured out down to a science. What we all really want is good relationships. We want to have solid relationships with our, with our spouse, with our children, with our parents, with our brothers or sisters, with our, uh, you know, our neighbors, with our friends, our co-workers. We want good relationships. I, I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that if we pulled the audience today and I asked you, would you rather have uh, an average relationship or would you, would you rather have a good relationship? And if you would rather have a good relationship, then I would ask you, would you like that relationship to be a great relationship? How many of you are going to say, no, no, average is, is just fine for me? I, I'm thinking probably 100% of us would say, I would rather have a great relationship. And so that's what God's word spells out for us. How can we enter this realm from just, you know, having hum-ho relationships to actually growing in them deeper in intimacy, in trust, in openness? This is what scripture reveals to us in many different facets. We're going to be studying primarily the Apostle Paul's letter to the Colossians. And so if you have your Bibles with you, I would invite you to the Garden of Eden is the damage that it did to relationships. We see it in many facets almost instantly. The first consequence we see is that God's relationship to man was severed. Prior to the fall, we see God and Adam are in partnership. God has put Adam in charge of the garden and everything is at his disposal to do with as he sees fit. God even brings all of the animals of creation to Adam to see what Adam would name them. And can you, can, you can just imagine some of the crazy animals that God has created. Like, his imagination is so beyond ours. You know, some of the animals you look at in the zoo and you just think, who could have ever thought of an animal like that? <laughs> God did. And I can just imagine him 
parading these animals by Adam, thinking to, him, to himself, I wonder what he's going to name this one. <laughs> well, you wait till he sees this one. He's going to get a kick out of the giraffe. And he's going to get a, a kick out of the kangaroo as it comes hopping through. And this platypus thing, yeah, this hybrid, this one's really going to throw him off because it kind of looks like a duck at first, but then it's more like a beaver. And I wonder what he's going to do with that one. So all of these different things that God has come up with, he's partnered together with Adam. They enjoy this fellowship. They work together, and even God provides for his needs when he sees that it was not good for man to be alone. He creates Eve and gives him a companion to share life with together, produce children, and populate the entire planet to become the mother and father of all of mankind. We see this phenomenal relationship right down to the small detail that they like intimacy, that fellowship. But after the fall, one of the very first things we see is that that perfect harmony and fellowship was immediately severed. And we see the first thing Adam does is he tries hiding from the Father. He tries hiding from the one whom he had enjoyed nothing but sweet companionship and fellowship, complete openness with. The first thing he does is hide. The second thing we see is that husband and wife relations were damaged immediately. One of the very first things we see happen after the fall is Adam blaming Eve for the whole mess. <laughs> the woman you gave me, Lord, <laughs> she gave me the fruit. It's her fault. Well, and Eve doesn't want to take responsibility either, and so Eve says, it was the serpent. He tricked me. And we've been playing the blame game ever since, haven't we? We're so good at trying to pass along responsibility to someone else. And as we play this blame game, especially within the context of marriage, we see the landscape littered with the countless broken marriages and families all around us as an ever-present legacy of this day. Third, we see that parent and child relations were damaged as well. One thing that's fascinating for me to consider is that God was literally Adam's dad. You know, it's easy for us to think of God as our spiritual father. You know, he's our heavenly father. He's taught us to name him and think of him in that way. But we also have an earthly father. I, I have a dad who, who I can relate with and talk to. And yet consider that when Adam first opened his eyes, the first face he saw was God's. Isn't that incredible? He was not only spiritually Adam's father, but literally. He was the only father that Adam ever knew. God himself was Adam's father. He opened his eyes, and there he was. He didn't know anyone else. He was his dad. It's an awesome thing to consider, that kind of relationship for a man to have with God. But that was shattered. It was severed. The father-son relationship. And we see the subsequent trials of parent-child relationships ever since down through the ages as a result of that day. We see other relations damaged along the way, brother to brother. We need to look no further than Cain and Abel, two brothers, the very first ones who define sibling rivalry and violence to this very day. And all these and countless other types of relationships for, were forever altered. So what does the Bible say in this world that we live in where severed and broken relationships are the norm? What does the Bible say? Well, the first thing that we see in the book of Colossians, if you've turned there, now let's look at Colossians chapter 1 and begin reading in verse 
19 of Colossians chapter 1. And the first thing we're going to discover there is that good relationships begin with a right relationship with God. Good relationships begin with a right relationship with God. Begin reading with me in verse 19. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. He's speaking of his son, the Lord Jesus. For God was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. This is speaking in the context of the fall, that we, because of this, had this severed relationship with God. We became enemies of his in our own minds. We, we hid from him. And because of our wickedness, we could never be considered holy or spotless enough to come into his presence because just one sin bars entry before a perfect and holy God. And so here Paul explains the elaborate theology of the most divine intervention of human history where God said, I am going to make a way for them to come back to me, for Adam's children and all of his descendants to be made right with me, to reverse the curse of that day so that they can be in relationship with me, so that we can walk together in the cool of the evening, not having that sin as a constant barrier between us. And so when Jesus died on the cross... The penalty for all of those sins was covered up. And for those who receive Christ, that becomes our identity. We become hidden in Christ. And so when God walks with us, he doesn't see Danny Greening in his sin and muck and mire. He sees his son, the Lord Jesus, because I am hidden in him. And because of that, I can walk with God in fellowship, in right relationship. This is where all beginnings of good relationships happen. We cannot enter into other good relationships, right relationships, in a full way unless we begin with Jesus Christ. This is the beginning of the reverse of what happened in the garden that day, is coming to the cross. Coming to Jesus and saying, Lord, forgive my sins. I receive what you did to cover me, to make me new, so that I can be right with God. It is an awesome thing that God has made for us to enter into relationship with him. This is where it begins. Good relationships begin with a right relationship with God. And so now we're going to move on and see how this ripple effect carries over into human relationships. And this morning I'll tell you that if you haven't started with this right relationship with God, what I'm going to be talking about next will still have some application for you. Some of the things and principles you can try to implement will help you in some small way. But without Christ and his power in your life on an ongoing daily basis, you will lack the necessary power to truly live out the radical, self-sacrificing sort of love that is required to make hum-ho relationships truly great relationships. Because without God in a relationship... It is not all that it should or could be. And so we need to begin with that right relationship with God. And so now we're going to move over into the realm of marital relations because this was the ripple effect of what happens next. We see the relationship between Adam and God is severed and the next thing we see is the ripple effect carries over into the marriage relationship 
between Adam and Eve. So turn to Colossians chapter 3, and let's read those verses again from 18 and 19. Colossians 3, 18 and 19 says this in a very concise way. It says, Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Straightforward instruction, blunt and to the point. I like it. Scripture doesn't mess around. It just gets right to the heart of the matter. One of the things we see is that immediately after the fall, what was Adam's first instinct as it came to his wife? What was his first response? Was it to gallantly protect Eve and defend her honor? Was it? Men? (laughs) What did he do? No, he threw her under the bus. (laughs) No, it wasn't me, Lord. It was her. Pin it on her. We're good, right? The woman you put here with me is what he emphasizes. He even kind of throws it back at God and says, You're the one who gave her to me. You put her with me. She gave me the fruit and I ate it. He was looking out for number one. The first thing we see is selfishness takes hold. It's just like that. The fall happens, and the very next instinct is self-preservation, selfishness. And we've been struggling with the effects of this as mankind ever since. The woman you put here with me. And I'm going to make a bold statement here and say that some form of selfishness can be found at the root of every single marital problem. Selfishness can be found at the root of every single marital problem in some way, shape, or form. I heard an interesting story that I want to share with you. Of It happened during the rehearsal of a, a wedding. This didn't happen to me personally, but I would find it quite humorous if it did. But let me share it with you. During the rehearsal for her wedding, a nervous bride was having a difficult difficult time remembering all the details. Her big day was finally here, and it was leaving her a little bit flustered. And so her kind pastor took her aside at the end of the night and said, let's just simplify things, all right? When you enter the church tomorrow, you will be walking down the same aisle you've walked down many times before. So just concentrate on the aisle. And when you get halfway down the aisle, then just concentrate on the altar. And when you reach the end of the aisle, your groom will be waiting for you. So then once you get there, just concentrate on him. Focus on the aisle, look at the altar, and finally just focus on him. Aisle, altar, and then him. That's all you have to do. Keep it simple. Well, this seemed to relax her quite a bit, and she took that to heart, and on the day of her wedding, the beautiful but nervous bride walked flawlessly down the aisle. She was beautiful. Everyone was saying how well the dress just fit her, and people were just ooing and aahing as she came down the aisle. But as she passed by... They were a little bit taken aback as they heard her repeating these words under her breath. I'll alter him. I'll alter him. I'll alter him. (laughs) Now, (laughs) I'm not quite sure on how much success she had in that department. (laughs) But I can imagine there were a number of wives present that day who were wishing her luck. (laughs) The the thing about that story is, is that it actually, as funny as it is, points out a very real truth. The fact is that if anyone enters a marriage with the thought or intention that they are going to go in it 
to change their spouse, they are already on the fast track to marital strife. So instead of looking at the faults of your spouse and saying, I'll alter him or her, pray this prayer instead. Jesus, alter me. Jesus, alter me. You see, when we stop asking the question, how can they be a better wife or a better husband for me, and instead ask the question, how can I be a better husband or wife for them, it changes everything. And I can tell you that from personal testimony. When I learned to stop asking the question, how can Leanne be a better wife to me, (laughs) and instead started asking the question, how can I be a better husband to her? Beginning to think that way changed my attitude and my thought process completely towards the relationship. Instead of always thinking about me first, what can she do for me, I began thinking more along the lines of, what can I do for her? How can I show love to her in more practical ways? And guess what began happening? The more I began thinking this way, the more my actions began to follow. And I can tell you that when Leanne started feeling more love and appreciation from me, she started feeling more towards me. It's reciprocal. When one extends it, the other receives it, and they want to give it back. And by the grace of God, I really can't stand here and take credit for this today, but by His grace, I can stand here and honestly tell you that I thank God for my wife every single day. I truly do. I thank him every single day because she has been God's greatest blessing in my life and I wouldn't be who I am without her. I know that for a fact. And aside from salvation and knowing that I'm right with God, being in a right relationship with my wife has been his greatest blessing in my life and I thank him for her every single day and I can take no credit for our marriage other than to say God's plan for marriage works. That's it. I've studied what I I see God say about marriage in Scripture, and I do my best to follow it. And we have together tried to do our best to follow God's plan in our marriage. And all I can say is that it works. God's way really works. And when we follow God's way, I've discovered His presence, His love, His power, and His blessings all come with Way more blessings than I could ever say that I deserve, but I'm receiving them, and I'm so thankful for them that his blessings come with. But in order for all of this to happen, someone has to be willing to take the first step of sacrificial love towards the other. And men, God has given that responsibility to us. I'm going to let you ladies sit on the sidelines and just cheer along with me for a minute here, okay? (laughs) I'm going to speak directly to the men here for a moment. Married men and husbands potentially to be. God has given that leadership role of showing love, first and foremost, to us. If you don't believe me, turn to verse 19 again and let's read it together. Husbands, love your wives. It doesn't say anything about wives taking the lead in this area. It says, husbands, love your wives. Interesting. He has given that initiation leadership role to the man. Take the lead in loving your wife. And the footnote to that is, and the opposite is being harsh with them. Don't do it. 
Love your wives and don't be harsh with them. Don't say those cutting words. Don't don't be overbearing. Don't push her down. Don't abuse your position as a leader. Don't be harsh with her. Love her. Take the lead in showing love to your wife. This has been given to us. Paul, in his passage to the Ephesians, writing on the same theme in chapter 5, verse 25, wrote to them, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Wow, he's stepping the ante up here a whole lot. If, if you could set the bar any higher than this, I, I don't believe it's possible. This is the highest standard of sacrificial love that has ever been shown and will ever be shown in the history of the world. It has already happened. It is the cross of Jesus Christ. And when we look at a sign that says, showing Christ's love, there is no higher example of sacrificial love. And Paul actually holds this up as a standard for husbands loving their wives. Just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Wow, this is a high standard. The ultimate expression. Man, that challenge is for us. (laughs) I heard a story about a husband who decided to make an appointment with a marriage counselor because, well, the marriage was on some rocky ground. And so he decided, well, we need a tune-up. So they went to see the marriage counselor, and his wife was hurt and upset. And as she began to talk, she crossed her arms and recounted to the counselor her loveless life and all of the things that happened along the way. And as she talked, tears began to fill her eyes, and her lips started quivering. And the lady counselor, with her years of experience and understanding and intuition, quickly realized what the problem was. For this wife, she was lonely, starved for affection. And so the lady counselor didn't say a word. She just stood up, walked over to the lady who was tears streaming down her face, looked into her eyes for a long moment, just smiled, and gave her a big hug and held her for a moment. Immediately, a change happened. Her face began to lighten, her, her body began to relax, and After a few moments, she controlled herself enough, and the counselor pulled her away at an arm's length, turned to the husband, and said, See? That's all she needs. And the husband thought to himself for a moment, pulled out his day planner, and said, Great. I'll come back to see you with her every Tuesday and Thursday. I think he missed the point. (laughs) Guys, listen, we can't pass the buck on this. This is not a responsibility to hand over to anyone else, no matter how great a counselor they may be. God has called us as husbands to love our wives, to understand them, to take the time to listen, even when we don't understand them, which is a lot of the time. But we listen anyways because we love them. And we stand there with them, even through those tough times where we want to try to fix the problem sometimes too quickly, rather than listening first. We can't pass the buck. We need to love them as Christ loved the church. But I'm going to say as well that this is impossible without God's help. It is. So we need to ask for his help. We need to ask for his power to be that kind of a husband. So now, ladies, you can put down your pom-poms for a moment and, like, cheer, you know, right on, okay, preach it. But now, men, it's your turn. 
So now the question becomes, now for wives and wives-to-be, what is your challenge? And the challenge is stated clearly in Scripture. It is to submit to your husband's leadership and give him your respect. Now, I realize that in our postmodern equal rights world, the word submit has become a dirty word with all sorts of negative connotations. But I would suggest that when we properly understand what this word is saying in its original context, it is anything but derogatory. In the first century, wives were essentially considered the property of their husbands. We may be stunned by that in our world today, but it is the reality of the world in which Paul was writing these words. Wives were considered the property of the husbands, so for them to submit to their husbands was only stating the obvious. In fact, the radical teaching in this context was that a man was actually called to love his wife. You see, men being harsh with their wives, demanding obedience, and having other women on the side was considered normal. First century Ephesus, this problem was running rampant. And unfortunately, there are many people today who view Paul as being hostile towards women, but the reality is that he championed women's rights long before it became popular to do so. The concept of submission is taught in many places in Scripture, and it does not in any way imply slavery or inferiority. The Bible views marriage as a partnership, with each partner filling certain roles. Remember that Paul clearly taught elsewhere that in Christ we are all equal, and he included male and female in his list of all who are equal in Christ. And so submission is simply stating that the husband and wife have different roles to play in the context of marital and family life. Equal, but different. The Greek word for submit means to arrange oneself under a delegated authority. It actually comes from the military word where soldiers were to be in order under the direction of their superior officer. So in the home, the wife is to willingly submit to the delegated authority of her husband, who then must willingly submit to the authority of God. And so the reason for this submission is found at the end of verse 18. It says, as is fitting in the Lord. A wife is to submit to her husband out of the same allegiance that she shows to Christ. And so I would ask you, when these two comparisons are made, did Christ demand your allegiance, or did he ask for it? If he asked for it, then the choice was yours to whether willingly give it or deny it. And if you willingly gave it, it is a gift that you have given to him. You have given him your submission and said, you are my Lord, you are the rightful authority over my life. And so in the context of marriage, this is much the same. It is not something that is demanded, it is something that is given, willingly, as a gift. So think about it this way. Godly submission in the context of a loving relationship is not something that a husband demands of his wife. Instead, submission and respect is something that a wife willingly chooses to give to her husband as she entrusts herself to his loving leadership. This is the biblical model for marriage. At the end of the day, we can chafe against and question God's plan for marriage all we want, but the bottom line that I will vouch for again is that God's plan works. Why? He's the one who made it. He created marriage, 
And if anyone knows what makes a marriage work best, it's the one who designed it in the first place. So we would be wise to consider what God has to say in marriage and seek to follow his ways wholeheartedly because his presence and his blessing will come with. And so remember, good marital relations begin with self-sacrifice. And so men, it begins with us. Is your wife going to have difficulties submitting to your leadership and respecting you if you are already actively loving her in self-sacrificing ways, seeking to serve her needs ahead of your own? I suggest that that won't be a problem. And so it's up to us to say, I'm going to take the lead. I am going to love my wife unconditionally, sacrificially, and serve her ahead of myself. And as we do this, the relationship becomes one that complements one another. Rather than one demanding something of the other, saying, you have to submit, or you have to respect me, or you got to love me first. Rather than demanding these things of one another, we start giving. And in giving, the one who receives naturally and instinctively wants to give back in return. It doesn't always happen overnight. It takes time, and it takes discipline. But with diligence and with God's help, He will pour out His power and blessing for you to continue and to persevere to His glory. This is what God has for each one of us who have been called into the sacred bonds of marriage. Now, this context and topic of relationships is so vast that we're going to have to end it at this subject this morning. We are also going to, down the road, explore the parent-to-child relationship. And we're going to look at it in the context of workplace and co-workers, as well as maybe even complete strangers. What are our obligations in relationship towards those we bump into every single day? But some of the things that we can apply to almost any single relationship have been summed up into what is called the six most important words. I want to read it for you this morning. The six most important words. I admit I made a mistake. Those are the six. I admit I made a mistake. Here are the five. The five most important words. You did a good job. The four most important words. What do you think? The three most important words. After you, please. The two most important words? Thank you. And the one most important word? We. I has no room on this list. It's all about we. So remember the six most important words in the context of any relationship. And God will be honored. As we close today, I want to remind you again that all good relationships begin by having a right relationship with God. As I look out over the congregation today, I'm sure that most of you, and I'm confident of many of you that I've spoken with, have already made that decision to follow the Lord Jesus, where you have willingly said, I am going to submit to your lordship of my life. You call the shots. You are in control. And we've done that. And most of you have already done that. If you haven't, that is the first step for you. But if you've already done that, there is still further to go. So many of us, what happens is we give that allegiance to Christ, we take that first step, and and we cross over the doorway. We enter into his kingdom, and we get inside and we say, oh, this is great. It's so much better in here knowing I'm going to heaven and I'm right with Jesus, and I'm just going to set up camp just right inside the doorway. And Jesus says, 
No, 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 I've got more to show you. Come further in. There's way cooler stuff further in. Come, walk with me, talk with me. And we say, no, 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 Jesus, this salvation thing's pretty good. I'm just going to stay right here inside the door. How many of us get stuck just inside the door? Jesus says, don't stop inside the door. Journey with me through life. I want to take you deeper. I want to take you to places you never even imagined existed. I want to show you things and have you experience things that other people think and say are impossible. But with me, remember, all things are possible. Come see, I want to show you. Will you walk with me? This is what we are called to do as Christians. Not just get inside the door and say, I'm good, I don't need to go any further. No, Jesus says, come deeper in this relationship with me. Because just imagine what he has yet to show us in heaven. You think he got a kick out of showing Adam all of the animals of creation? Just imagine the joy that God has in store for what he is going to show us in heaven someday. The glories. He's going to say, check this out. I, I made this specifically with you in mind because I want to show it to you. This is your mansion. I've tailored it specifically for you, Danny. Come check it out. You're going to love it. I know it because I made you. And I know you better than you know yourself. These are the kinds of things that a father in heaven delights in showing to his children. But he wants to do it in the context of relationship. Are you in that right relationship with God? Are you talking to him? On a daily basis, are you walking with him? Are you studying his word? Right relationship with God is the foundation for all other relationships, whether in your marriage, whether in your workplace, with friends. It doesn't matter what. It begins with that right relationship with God. So start there. And if you're in in a marriage today or looking ahead to marriage, start with your relationship with your spouse. As a man, say, I'm going to seek to love her unconditionally. And for for wives to be, say, you know what, I'm going to respect his authority. And we're going to work together, but when push comes to shove, if he says this is how it's going to be, I'm going to trust him. I'm going to trust him because I know he loves me. This is what God has asked of us, and I believe that he's going to add his blessing as we follow him. So may God go with you as we consider his word and living it out in whatever context we go into this week. Would you bow with me and let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you that out of your word, truth is revealed to our lives. Our specific context, Lord, whether we are looking ahead to marriage, whether we've been married for many years or just starting out, Lord, you have something to say. And Father, you want to pour out more love into each one of our relationships. You have so much more in store than what we are even experiencing right now. And so, Lord, I just ask, would you pour it out, more love, sacrificial love, into our hearts to show to one another. And that, Lord, as we submit to you, we can also learn to submit to one another, not out of obligation or duty, but out of love and a desire to be a servant to one another, to build each other up, to put others' needs ahead of our own, and in doing so, find in return that our own needs are being met above and beyond what we could have imagined. And so, Father, we thank you that in all of this, your hand is at work. And that, Lord, even as we still suffer from the consequences of the fall, oh, Lord, we thank you that you have made a way for not only the the results of the the fall to be reversed, but that we can come into a, a right relationship with you in a glorious way. That, Lord, we can walk with you in right relationship every single day, going deeper in our walk with you. 
And so, Father, draw us deeper, I pray, as we go into this week. Help us to just make time with you a top priority, that we just carve it out and and say, no excuses, this time with you is sacred. I'm not going to touch it. It is for you. Lord, help us to make you and time with you a priority. Bless us as we go our our separate ways now. I pray a special blessing on marriages here this morning, Lord, whatever situation they're in, whether in tough times or in good times, Lord, I pray that you would have your hand upon them and strengthen them according to your will for your glory's sake, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.